Thanks for joining us today for Bread of Life, a ministry of Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. At the core of our ministry is the conviction that Christ is our sufficiency in all things. Our prayer is that the message today might bring your thoughts near to Christ's abundant grace. To contact us, please call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. And now here for a brief introduction is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. Psalm 68 opens with a view of God as one who rises up and scatters his enemies like smoke before a great wind. He is the God who defeats all of his enemies like wax melts before a tornado of fire. And at that point where we might cower before this God of power, the psalmist then gives us a penetrating look into the holy dwelling of God and invites us to enter into it and find ourselves at rest in his home. Listen to Psalm 68 verses 5 through 6. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Lesson number two. God's glory before his people opens to our view himself seen in his holy home, his holy habitation. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. It's as if what's being said here is that this little ark, this tabernacle that is in their presence, that we set down among the camp of Israel, and they would camp all around it, sweeps into the presence the God of war. And that God, in a sense, as he's in that little tabernacle, is residing in his home before the people of God. That's what they're saying. The enemies of God see God riding in judgment, riding on the clouds of wrath, and to them the glory of God is revealed in his power as he comes out of the heavens to bring destruction. Second Thessalonians expresses this power of the glory of God when the Lord Jesus says he's coming with his angels to bring flaming fire and vengeance upon all those who know not God. And that's how the unbeliever experiences the glory of God. He is seen in the procession and regalia of war. But we are not here introduced to God in that way. The redeemed and those made righteous see Him differently. We see Him as He were in His heavenly home, in His holy habitat. That's the idea. A man goes off to war, or a man goes off to his job, or a man goes out into the public square in order to promote the welfare of his family, or to promote the welfare of his business or his career. And we see that man, and we encounter that man, but we really don't find out what he's like. We really don't truly meet the man until we find him in his home. You know, when he comes home and he takes his suit off, when he comes home and he sits back and he makes himself at one in this place. Yes, God governs the world with power and He comes riding upon the clouds and He rules over the nations and His splendor goes out before Him and He rides upon the storms and He rules over all the stars. And Yet here, we're invited to come to His tent, to His dwelling place. Alfred Barnes, who was an old commentator, writes it this way. 
we are invited to come before God and see Him in His quiet heaven. And here we may look most closely at that character that He wants us to know about Him. This One who is the all-powerful God who brings judgments upon the earth. And what we encounter is something rather marvelous, rather wonderful. Now, I just have one question for you by brief application for this that we see in his appetite. Is that how you're able to approach God? In your own life, do you know that you can approach God in his holy habitat? That he's dwelling in a place where you can meet him and he domiciles with you? Has that been the exchange? Or is God before you as a consuming fire only? Is God before you as the judge and all-powerful God? That might be a good place to start, but that's not where you have to end. Let's go to the next lesson, lesson number three. Here's what we find of his character as he resides in his holy habitat, as he resides in his holiness near us. What we discover is the characteristic that he wants to make known to us, this God of great judgment and power, wants to make known to us is his kindness. It is the traits of one who is loving and caring and protecting and liberating as a father. A father of the fatherless. A defender for widows. Setting the lonely in homes. Delivering the slave by bringing them into his own wealth and riches is our God in his domicile in His home, in our presence. Do you see <laughs> how wonderful this is? A completely different encounter God gives to the nation of Israel before His glory than all else know. Oh my, why would you want to stand before the judgment of that awesome, powerful God be swept over by the clouds of judgment? Instead, you could come to the tent and worship Him through the sacrifice He's provided for you and the death of His Son for your sins. And domicile with Him. The Israelites were refugees. They were a million refugees. We've got refugees in our world today. Go to Jordan right now and you can find Jordan filled with tented cities as far as you can see with your eye. Filled with refugees that are fleeing from the war and the ravage and the death and the bloodletting that is being caused by ISIS. I imagine when you're a refugee, you feel like an orphan. You feel like a widow. You feel like a slave that somehow has been released from its master's house but has no other source of taking care of themselves. Someone who's now without any home, without any riches and without any wealth and without any ability to be anything else than what they had been, just slaves. That's what the nation of Israel was. All of a sudden, this nation of slaves are released, and they don't have the infrastructure to live other than as slaves. They don't have any wealth, they don't have any weapons, they don't have anything. That must have been a devastatingly, a devastating point of psychological turmoil in their lives. Cast off from all that they had known for 400 years fatherless, widows. In fact, as God prepares to bring this nation through, we learn that many are rebellious. We see this. And they don't respond to this overture that God makes them and they're left behind. Their bones are left behind in the wilderness. 
And so it's a relatively young generation of people. God comes to them. Orphans, widows, untethered slaves. And brings them into the presence of His tender care. I will be a father to you, orphan. I'll be the one who judges over your life, widow, so that no one takes advantage of you and no one uses you or abuses you. And I will be to you, slave, as one who brings you out unbound into all of my wealth and riches. This house will be your house. I'll provide for you. What a wonderful picture for those who come to God by faith. He comes to them as faithful. He makes His home in the lowly heart and out of His tender care gives us all that we need. He is the father we never had, the husband we and the protector that we might miss. He is the one who takes slaves and gives them a home full of riches and provision, a place of honor. This is what He's done for the nation of Israel. This is what He does for us. No Christian ought to say they lack anything if they have a God like this, providing for them. Philippians 4.19, Paul says this, speaking again to this persecuted church from his prison cell, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And my God shall supply all of your need. His glory goes before you. It's remarkable when you consider all that, that God gives all that, that there were in the nation of Israel those who did not want to surrender to this wonderful expression of God's grace and God's tenderness. They did not want to live under the covering of that cloud. They said things like, life was better for us back in Egypt. They preferred the slavery of Egypt where at least they were free, in a sense, to feel legitimate rebels against the oppression of the Egyptian than the slavery that comes upon a person when they're bound to a God who is full of grace and love and mercy towards them. You realize, by the way, that when you receive love from somebody, it enslaves you as well. And they did not want to be bound to that kind of slavery. Better to be rebels against the slave masters of Egypt and to feel I'll do it my way and live my own life and resist this than to be brought under kind of submission that is demanded if I should receive the love and grace and care of this glorious God. And so they rebelled. And we're told for them they were left behind in the dust. And the desert is all they inherited. But if you'll surrender to a God like this and yield before Him and follow Him, He takes you lonely as you are and He brings you into uh, a place full of homes and houses and family and wealth and provision. And everywhere He leads you, go forward singing and praising and rejoicing in Him. Let's bow our heads. Then, O oh God, a new kind of slavery, give shape for us one that receives and takes hold of all of your love, one that rejoices that you domicile among us, that you can live in the heart, and from that place, oh, the generosities of your blessing, oh, the promise of your provision, oh, the ultimate protection.
knowing that, oh God, we can go forward even if persecution should come upon us. We could receive all the threats and face them knowing that our God is triumphant. He has triumphed in us. He will triumph in this age. Thank you for the picture, Lord. Let it rest in our hearts and by your Spirit's service, purpose for our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my soul, my all. May you know the freedom that comes when the love of Christ constrains you. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.